Hello, I am Dr. Kathleen Hall, and this is The Way I See It. And I'm John Bailey. You could call me Bailey, and this is The Way I See It. Hello, darling. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Keeping my head down. Yeah, we've had a little hiatus since this uh, pandemic crisis hit, darling. Yes, we have. I have been in the storm, as you well know, Mm -hmm. uh, because we're all medical, medically oriented. Um, My husband is an MD, and Brittany, our daughter, is an MD, and she happens to work and help run five critical care units at the largest hospital in the state of Georgia. So, as I have shared with you, Bailey, she has been... you know, definitely on the front lines of this horror. Mm-hmm. And uh, my husband is the chief of medicine at his hospital. So uh, it has been intense here at our house, to say the least. I'm sure it has. And um, I think what has hit me lately, uh, and I know you know this, through this whole thing, uh, our daughter is a critical care doctor, Her wife, who was pregnant, went into labor. She was on bed rest for six weeks uh, in the hospital, which Brittany was at the ICU, 12-hour shifts. Uh, But just um, as we all know, it's your team. It's your unit. It's your squad, just like in the military. So even though it's 12, 12 hours, it leads to 15, 18, 16, because you can't leave your compatriots in the middle of this chaos. So then her wife had to go into the hospital for premature labor. She was in there for six weeks. Brittany couldn't see her. Mm. So she was working all the time. They were separated. The baby was born five weeks ago, went to the uh, neonatology critical care unit, has been there for five weeks. Um, Catherine, the mother had to move in with her parents because they think Brittany is COVID possible, uh, COVID positive, mm. And she is probably an asymptomatic carrier, uh, which is probably 20%, maybe a third of her, her partners and her. So anyway, it's been stressful for us. Uh, we have a newborn still, a preemie. Uh, in the NICU, uh, Catherine's living with her parents, poor Brittany, still working her 12 to 14 to 18 hour shifts. And uh, my husband, uh, uh, Jim, he's just been insane where he's working. So it's really this. And, and then that's just our little drama here at our place, let alone the much larger, more important scope of this horrendous pandemic on a global level right there's i imagine there's about at least in this country about 350 million stories with just as many intricacies as that you know it's really a top-down effect yeah and i think what hit it for me uh, you, you know especially when i would call call Brittany or talk to her between her horrendous shifts when she would she was calling it uh, a third world country hellhole. She said, this is totally criminal behavior. Hmm. Uh, when I have to intubate people and I have to put plastic glad trash bags on myself and on my patients. She's uh, actually had to experience that. I've seen news stories oh, yeah. 
Oh my God. Oh yeah. No, 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 no. She said, thank God for plastic bags. She said she may not be alive without them because I know intubations. I know you probably know this. Intubations is the most dangerous thing you can do. And uh, she called it a public disaster. These are her words, reprehensible, a f- total failure and um, chaos, insanity. So these were, I was trying to calm everything down and relax it. But I think what hit me the hardest, uh, like an arrow through my heart, was this Dr. Lorna Breen, who last mm-hmm. week committed suicide. And she was only 49, had worked on the front lines. She herself contracted COVID-19 and um, went back to work a week and a half after she had it, uh, got worse, got depressed. Her parents tried to bring her home. They put her in UVA hospital. Uh, she couldn't get past it, and she eventually committed suicide. And, and again, a lot of people's first comments were, oh, she must have been depressed. She must have been this. But what we know and what my daughter is telling me about the coagulation effects and the renal failure she sees, the strokes, the lung damage, is this is a coagulation and the endothelial tissues. And so it really affects the brain. So when these people have it, instead of us going, hey, Bailey, you got past this baby, you know, <laughs> you got past the COVID. Right. These, these, these could be long-term effects like a TBA, traumatic brain injury, TBI, yeah. excuse me. And so this could be a whole other thing, but I just wanted to take a minute at the beginning of this um, life lessons from COVID-19, which is what we're doing today, and just have a call out to Dr. Laura Breen, who loved her patients, loved her selflessness. Her father was a physician, so she lived with this selfless calling of her whole family her entire life. And so to tragically lose such a light in our world was just devastating to me. Um, just a quick question. Uh, coagulation, that is where your blood thickens, is that? Yes, it thickens. See, at first, when they first went in and we intubated people and then put them on uh, ventilators, we thought it was just lungs, you know, like mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. an influenza or right. a pneumonia or something. And then it was later when we started seeing the strokes that we went, oh, my gosh, this is different than that. Then when we started seeing the renal failure in huge amounts, we went, Oh my God, everything's coagulating there too. So that's when, and then now we're seeing in some of them, we're actually seeing a rod of toes, you know, with lack of circulation. Right, right. And, so to and all the all, extremities, that, that yes, makes sense. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unbelievable things. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, it's a whole different ball game. And so we are all in this together. And I thought what we could talk about today was um, we are definitely not out of the woods. But when we do see more light at the end of the tunnel, I hope that we do not forget that there are many, many, many life lessons for us to learn. I think instead of when we're out of it, Bailey, you know, in retrospect, I think it's really helpful if we can reflect some while we're in the midst of it. Agreed. And, and again, I'm, I'm up on the age bracket and uh, have been around a long time and seen a lot. So from your perspective as a young critter, what is your take on this, on your whole experience? Again, mine has been medical. We're right. on the inside. So I'd like to hear a little about yours being on the outside, being a regular person mm-hmm. who works out in the world with a partner and your careers have shifted uh, your, your maybe your view of the world has shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, so t- tell me a little about how you've experienced it. 
Well, I've had a few takeaways. Um, uh, the first uh, was kind of the initial uh, shock of never having lived through something similar to this. You know, we live in a time where, uh, you know, we've it, it's an interesting paradigm shift that's happened because we we've discussed many times on our our podcast kind of the uh, lack of interpersonal communication that's kind of permeated society with like the rise of and the ease of technology and it's it's interesting to see that whenever you strip away interpersonal communication uh it still has a large effect on people you know this is essentially uh, every you know millennial's dream you know you you just simply <laughs> you, you just talk to people over technology however it, it 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 shows that people do miss the interpersonal contact uh, of normal what we would consider normal life so that was my first takeaway it was just an interesting observation i had as far as personally um I, uh, my girlfriend works for a, a corporate company here in Atlanta who took this very seriously from the beginning. So they immediately began working remotely and, uh, it's in the event industry, which that industry is going to be different forever from here on out. So there's been stress about that. Obviously I work in the entertainment industry at a recording studio and we have, booked sessions during this that were primarily podcast remote sessions. So very small amounts of people, <laughs> copious amounts of hand sanitation and face <laughs> mask and gloves given out at the door, lists of everybody on the session that we take down. So uh, we know everyone who's had contact with everyone. Oh my God, that's great. So you guys started contact contact tracing uh, of course, right of away course. and and you know i i guess that's you know we did it to be proactive uh, in case you know in case something terrible happens in case somebody you know contracts however uh um it was it was a decision made by my great studio manager a guy named elliot carter and then also through podcast one the podcast company through which sponsors the podcast we do it was kind of a top-down thing from them which i think was um, in a time where, you know, people still wanted to, cause it's a media exemption, you know, doing podcasts to be able to still inform people and curate. However, um, having the responsibility potentially on the back end to say, you know, these are the people that have been in contact right. with the studio. Exactly. Very so cool. I think that, uh, I think that was a good thing. And then myself personally, I, you know, most of my, most of the business I do is face to face recording and editing and you know like what you and i do at the podcast so all of that has changed so my my business my personal business has really greatly shifted to online and i'm fortunate to where that a lot of the things that i do can be done remotely but i've i've spoken to so many of my friends that had safe jobs um you know because me working in the job that i work it's it's kind of an ebb and flow to business it's based on other people's creativity i'm at the mercy of other folks so uh my job that was not guaranteed has been more guaranteed than the folks that have a typical nine to five so it's been it's been very interesting through all of this also in my family dynamic i live 30 miles away from my mother 
And uh, I am a self-proclaimed mama's boy. And I haven't (laughs) seen her in person for two and a half months, which is a long time, you know? So, um, it's definitely affected me, not on, not in the medical respect such as yourself, but I think, like I said, everybody has a story like you. Everybody has a story like me. It's, it's permeated for sure. Yeah. And I think, I think when you're so entrenched though on the front lines, uh, I think I think those are different stories, more intense stories. Number one and mm-hmm. two is people that have lost people to this oh, virus. Of course, I think that that is to me number one the most devastating story, and two is the frontline responders, whether it's police officers, doctors, nurses, um, all, all these people that are delivery. Every time I now see my Amazon, my Prime person, I just throw them kisses. You know, the UPS driver. And I think that we're going to talk about, uh, I've chosen because um, I tried to curate three voices of people that have had words of wisdom about Mm COVID-19. And I thought you and I could go through these and um, comment on them, maybe. But also let's um, offer some hope and some, um, some hope and some wisdom and some, uh, love out there so that we can all, you know, we all are in this together, but I enjoyed reading these words of wisdom because it gave me a more grounded approach to what is going on. Because again, I, uh, uh, of course, my doctoral work uh, was in spirituality. I was a professor of world religions, and this is what I do, living with native tribes. I've always tried to make meaning out of everything. So instead of this just being a disease, I'm trying to view it more as a um, sign from the universe of stopping us in our tracks. The life lessons from COVID-19, the words of wisdom, are, I think, very powerful. And I found an article in the Chicago Sun-Times. This was supposedly an open letter from Bill Gates. Later, we found out it was not. Mm. This was an anonymous person who wanted to get more attention, which was wise, right? By saying, yes. oh, this is a letter from Bill Gates. But That's in doing that, this this is a great, amazing thing, I think, whoever wrote it about the spiritual purpose behind what's going on right now. And so I'm just going to go down and if you'll comment on some of these and of we can all kind of reflect on them. The first is reminding us that we're all equal, regardless of culture, religion, occupation, financial situation, that we are all equal. And when Tom Hanks... And his wife, Rita, came out of their um, COVID experience. That was one of the first things he said was the universality of it doesn't matter who you are. And I think we've lived, you and I've talked about this. We live in a celebrity culture, a culture of wealth. We've had more wealth in the world in the last few years, billionaires, um, you know, all of this iconography that mm-hmm. all of a sudden this just is like pouring uh, ice water over it all. And saying, uh-uh. Oh, yes. So, and, the, so the, and the next one is, it's reminding us that we're all connected. And something that affects one person affects another. And I think we've spent years, and you and I have discussed this too, of borders. Whether it's borders between Mexico and Canada. Borders between, I'm white and you're black. Or borders between, I'm a male, you're a female, you're a trans. You know, instead of us, I'm red and you're blue. 
And then, you know, some people, I'm even purple. We have just used these meters to continually separate ourselves. And so I really do think that it's really important that this says um, when we make false borders that we've put up, they have little value when the virus doesn't need a passport. I think that's a powerful statement. Wow, that is powerful because uh, it does not discriminate. Yes, there are no borders. And of course, if you've done spirituality, as you well know, and world religions and that stuff or metaphysical work, you know that, that that's true anyway. And the native people have always believed that. And especially the Buddhists. Um, and then next is how precious our health is and how we've neglected it, whether we drink or whether we've been um, eating fast food or not taking exercise and nutrition and everything that we've been doing seriously. Part of the huge, biggest thing about COVID attacking people is because they have poor nutrition mm-hmm. or little mm-hmm. exercise. And here we go with race and poverty again, that when you're poor, and when you don't have these options and you have food deserts, their nutritional standard, me being exposed to it is different than someone who lives in a different neighborhood, which right. is horrendous. And But it's the truth. And so it also lets us focus on how precious our health is. And, and another thing, since uh, the biggest fear we have, number one fear, is uh, dying or not having our health, it also puts that fear front and center in front of us, meaning we are reminded of the shortness of life and how tenuous, how tenuous that you and I can go for a walk or touch something at a grocery store, Bailey, and have COVID-19, you know. Oh, it's, it's, um, I know that's forefront. And I mean, of course it's forefront because it's, it's human nature to preserve your own life. Um, but Yes. And I've seen it in the interactions that I've had at the grocery store when everyone's gloved up, whenever I've, I've interacted and I've seen uh, other patrons in the store get too close to each other and one of them scurry away. And I don't even hold it against that person. <laughs> no. And again, this is a survival thing. And, of and course. so it's, it's very interested, interesting that maybe we needed this wake up. Mm hmm. And another uh, is how it's reminding us of how materialistic our society has become. And it, it's so, so, so important uh, of, of what the essentials we need, food, water, medicine, community, as opposed to luxuries that many of us have grown so accustomed to that we assume that's part of what we need. Right. And again, I'm old enough to remember a time, whether it was my Aunt Pat, who was a nurse or my father, who was a salesman or the doctor that sat by us at church, we did not have the materialistic, materialistic things that we have now. And, and so we, it was really weird because community really was important um, in supporting each other. Or if you got sick, I took care of the neighbor's kids. And so maybe in some weird, strange way, we needed this you know, about how materialistic we've really all gotten. Mm -hmm. As some sort of a, of a reminder of like, Hey, this stuff still matters. And this is going to be interesting. Jim and I've talked about this. Um, my husband, when we come back and our daughter, what, I wonder what it'll be that me having a Louis Vuitton purse or a Chanel purse or my own different things that I have, would I even wear them again? anytime soon? Would I even be so humiliated and shamed 
to wear them out into a Publix or a Costco right now at a time with the suffering so great or, or even ever again. I think they've taken on a different iconog- iconographic image. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Oh, no, I totally see. I, I, um, I've, I've wondered those ramifications, you know, through different areas as well through this, you know, when we come out and, uh, and my, my, my fear in that situation is that this is just one of those things that you remember, oh, in 2020, this happened and it, and it loses the intensity that it deserves, the intensity that we have, the reverence that we have to this situation right now in the moment, I'm afraid that uh, that it will be business as usual two years from now, and it will just be this this thing that happened. I really hope that it does have a lasting impact. I really do hope that people put thought into the example like what you just said. It's it, It's so important that we don't forget this. And also, mm-hmm. you know, I know everybody's staying home, but... So many of us have been used to dropping our kids off. Both of us work. We come home. We've got one of us take turns to go to soccer practice, do homework, fall in bed. I mean, Jim, uh, my husband, who's a physician, talks about his nurses all the time. They have to get up at five, get their kids ready, be at the operating room at seven. They get home at four. They cook dinner. You see, th- their lives. What if you're a teacher? People that don't work from home. So what this has done is everybody has been reminded of what family is and how important family it is in our lives. And so many people that are going home alone too, realizing uh, I was self-made. I did this. Well, all of a sudden, maybe it doesn't feel so good, Bailey. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure so many people are, are in that boat. I'm sure, I'm sure so many people are in that boat. And also um, I, I think that I've seen this, especially in counseling people in my own writing and uh, working with the media is uh, so many people identify their job with who they be. And so this is really interesting, too, because with uh, 30 million people right now filing for unemployment, how can we identify ourselves with our, quote, job? And it gives us a chance to reflect on, wow, am I doing this for a paycheck or what is my true calling? That's uh, something I'm very guilty of. I really like to tell people what I do for a living because because uh, I'm passionate about it. But when you strip when you strip the occupation away, what's left? And I and I know a lot of people are facing that question right now. Yeah, and that's also why I hope you. I know you are, but I hope you and I are more compassionate. That's got to be a hellhole. It's oh, got to yeah. be a terrifying thing. Definitely hope that's a byproduct of that. And it's also reminding us we need to be patient and not panic. That's the other thing that is so interesting about what we're going through. Um, I was in uh, talking to my husband yesterday, and, and he looked at me and he said, how would you describe or how do you feel the state of the world is right now? And I said, well, mm-hmm. it was like when I got hit by the car. I was walking across the street in Beverly Hills, and a car hit me going about 60 miles an hour. And so I ended up in Cedars. I had a traumatic brain injury was uh, dead for a few minutes anyway. And and at that time, I'll never forget the doctors went, well, you'll get out of here and we fixed your hip and we fixed this and that. And, but the odyssey that followed after being smashed was, you know, whether it was wheelchair or uh, urinary incontinence and wearing diapers. And then two years later, subsequent seizures, a traumatic brain injury, falling for five years. It was a 
horrendous unfolding, I told Jim that I feel like the world is where I was when I was hit by that car. Mm. That you're Mm -hmm. hit, you're in the ICU, you're in the trauma unit, but when you come out, you don't know what the repercussions are going to be, you know? Right. And, and I, and I said, I sat there with tears in my eyes and I went, I've personally lived this, lived through this. Mm-hmm. The world is going to live through what I personally was challenged with is you don't know what's going to unfold left. Now it left unbelievable positive possibilities of humility, right. grace, love, you know, deeper, unbelievable love and things that came out of that were greater things than I could ever believe. But mm-hmm. my thing is not knowing. You know, we really right. don't know. We can try to make it, but we really don't. And and again, in that, is it an end or a new beginning? It it you know it is. It's both. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a both and situation. I agree. And I think it's also interesting. Um, it reminds us that the Earth is sick. And in saying that, which this per, this author postulates, is that we need you know that climate change and everything else. And I I think it's really interesting that we have a. Uh, Chapman Institute, which studies fears and especially fears in the United States. So two years ago, the fear studies changed dramatically. They showed that seven out of the 10 top fears had to do with the environment, had to do with losing trees, had to do with not having clean water or clean air or our children not having, being able to see the sunrise or the sunset. So I think that it's interesting that the earth has been healed. Don't you? Oh, yes. That we have clear skies, water, everything. Very interesting to see the um, satellite images six months ago versus today over major metropolitan areas and the uh, the amount in smog reduction. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, so it's kind of like Mother Nature, you know, threw us this curveball or whatever, and then she was like, wow, I hated to do this. You know? But... But the Paris Accord, uh, people thinking they can pull out of it or choose whether to save me, which I am your life. I'm Mother Mm -hmm. Nature and I am the Alpha and the Omega. So don't discard me or treat me like a Chanel purse. Right. Because she can bite back, apparently. (laughs) And and I love what the final thing of this wonderful author in the Chicago Sun-Times said. Uh, is the Corona COVID-19 virus, is it a disaster or is it a corrector? I thought Mm. that was, I used to be in the financial markets in my first life. Remember, we always talked about corrections. Yeah. Is it a correction or is it the end of the world? And so we always talk about things as corrections. So I think that's an interesting, optimistic, as painful as this is for all of us to think about, wow, this could be a correction that could literally save the future of the earth and save the future of our life. And as young as you are, save the future of your children, your grandchildren, or even having a life could, could be this. Of course. I, um, uh, you can't, uh, sometimes you have to walk through fire to get to a better place, to get to a greener pasture. And I really hope that's what this is. I really hope, um, people take things like climate change and the change in, uh, the environment more seriously now. And I think because we have had a chance to sit back and reflect, like this has been forced reflection for so many people because, you know, we're very habitual creatures, humans, you know, and when you 
when you break that habit, isn't the common uh, the common synopsis or the common uh, thought behind a habit is it takes like six weeks to form or break or something mm-hmm. like 40 that? Days, exactly. Forty days, exactly. Oh, 40 days, okay. Yeah, so, six weeks, 40 days. Right, so, you know, we've definitely... We've definitely broken habits in this quarantine, and we've, I guess, some people have formed new habits, which we might touch on, too, as far as addiction and stuff. But um, I, I hope that it's, I, I hope it's a shift, and I hope it's a shift that in the after, in the after, will be a positive for situations like that. Right, and what I hope we don't do is what a lot of people are doing is saying, well, this is an older person or a person with comorbidity or underlying disease, and so us young people can just go forward. We'll just let this go and separate the rest of the world, and we don't see it as a whole message for our entire universe instead of segmenting it out. I think the that segmentation is is a dangerous thing. As someone, I you know I'm 31, so I'm less at risk um, than some folks. But you mentioned being an asymp- asymptomatic carrier. That's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is um, hurting someone else unknowingly. Oh, see, and, that's why I love you. I love you. You're so kind. I do. I love you. You're making me blush over here, but. Uh, it's um, that that is a fear, and 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 I've talked to people in my age bracket, people that I know, and and that is a concern. But like you said, there are some people that are like doesn't affect me, and they just get careless. There's a well, lot of carelessness but, happening. But right it's now. also uh, our daughter showed up uh, because again she can't physically be here, but we have virtual meetings where she comes in the driveway. And mm-hmm. I sit on the porch and she gives me virtual hugs. And she said she came up last week and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, I apologize. I just want to tell you how sorry I am. I said, what are you sorry for? And she said, because at the beginning, I was the one I'm the ICU doctor. And I told you it was older people, people with underlying conditions like diabetes and hypertension. I told you, blah. And she just got emotional. And she said, that's all a lie. She said, if you knew the young people under 40, under 45 that have this disease. And if you saw the healthy people like you, mom, that walk every day, wait, you're, you know, pescatarian, you live at the foot of the cross as far as health that are sitting there and they come in at six, one evening and they're dead at eight o'clock at the next morning when I leave my shift, she said, it's, it's been so humbling. All of my assumptions, uh, and all of ours, all of my partners have been down the drain. This has been the most humbling thing in the world. So I am so sorry. I, I segmented it and did it just like other young people. I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's encouraging to know that someone as, uh, as in it felt the same way and also had the reflectivity to, you know, go back on that. Well, and she's insane. Even, even, I mean, and I know, you know, Georgia's open, all these States are open now, 21, I think. And she, <sighs> and my daughter is the first one. And my husband that, constantly are saying, don't go out, mom, stay home. You have to stay home. Everybody has to stay. I mean, she is like for the next wave or the next wave. She said, it's the only way we're going to manage it, but that's a whole nother thing. But anyway, so, so what I wanted to talk about next was, this is one of my favorites. This is a psychologist from psychology today, and he has four life lessons of COVID. And I think this is so beautiful. Um, He said, the pandemic has a lot to teach us about being human. And his name is Sam Osherson. O-S-H-E-R-S-O-N, and I'm going to check this guy out because I love what he has said. 
And the first thing, he has four simple life lessons. And the first is our masks tell the truth. And he starts off with saying, I want to wear a mask and I am proud that I'm wearing a mask. And I thought that was an interesting hook. And he says, for me, he said, these masks have become a sign of solidarity and shared vulnerability for all of us as human beings. I just love that. He said, in our local supermarket, drugstores, the profusion of masks among us telegraph to each other. We're family. We're all in this together. These masks signify a double consciousness, if you will, of my safety and yours and the reverent respect as human beings that we have for each other. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. I also, um, you know, masks aren't really something that uh, American society has you know, done traditionally. I know in other societies, it's way more common. Um, but it's, it's been really cool to see that also. In addition to that, I wanted to mention, uh, you know, I've been watching the news way more than I ever have. I know that's one thing that you have, uh, told me, watch the news more. Um, so you would be very proud. Um, uh, but I watched, I, uh, this was probably three days ago. Um, all of these field report i think it was cbs it was the uh network that i was watching at this time and uh all of their field report you know they have someone who's like at home base right. and then they're yes. you know split screen uh-huh. with the field reporter every single one of the field reporters wearing a mask cool the field reporters are by themselves you know mm-hmm. not around anyone still wearing a mask and I just I really applauded them in that moment because it's like it was an instance where it wasn't necessarily required, but it was just right. saying like, "Hey, we're out here, we're doing this. You can do this too." I, it yeah, was a, it was a and really it's cool sim- thing. And, and I love it. It's a symbol, and mm-hmm. symbols are so hugely important. Definitely. And I and I love to finish off what he said about masks. He said, "It's our masks that tell the truth. They are a visible signifier of our shared fate. That we are all in this together, and that our fates are intertwined." So in the, in the shadow side of this, this also enrages me. It makes me so ticked. I can't even see straight. In what way? That because 90% of the people I'm seeing that are younger, under the age of 40, have no masks in Atlanta right now. They're walking around jogging, uh, I, you know, at, at Kroger, at the CVS. They're just going around. And how arrogant, selfish, narcissistic, and dark is that? that like you said about being an asymptomatic carrier. Mm. And even if even if you're not just reverent respect for the not just for the law, but for the standard of care, which we call in the medical business that the government and those protecting us are asking us to do for everybody. So it is not about you, buddy. It's not about you. It's one of those interesting things, because, you know, something as simple as wearing a mask even if, you know, I, I talked about like being an asymptomatic carrier and like I don't want to get someone hurt even maybe because I'm not as susceptible as others. But like even have the care about yourself enough, even if you did it, it's one of those situations. It's one of those brilliant situations where you can be selfish and selfless at the same time. How often wow, does that happen in life? That's beautiful. You know, that's so beautiful. it's like I think that's a testament to, you know, these people doing that. They don't have respect for themselves. You know, at least yeah. wear the mask to protect yourself and be selfish. And in turn, you will be helping, you know, others. So I think, you know, that's a testament to maybe how people feel about themselves. They don't have a lot of self-respect. Yeah. And the six feet when they walk right past you or jog right past you. Just I told Jim, I got, I, I got one of his, t- I got one of his super large t-shirts and put 
spray paint put six feet on the front and the back of it. And then, as you well know, we've been in the horse business and been around horses for four years for our whole life. My husband's been around him his entire life. And uh, so we happen to have a little horse whip here at home, and it's about, you know, three and a half feet long. So what I'm going to do when I start walking, baby, is I'm not only walking with my friggin' T-shirt on, I'm walking with my horse whip. And if your ass comes within <laughs> four to five feet of me, good luck. Because if you haven't been popped with a horse whip, you don't even know what life oh, is. Oh, man. I was going to say, a horse whip, three and a half feet, the length of your arm, three feet. If I can reach uh-huh. you, you're uh-huh. too close. <laughs> you got it, baby. You got it. And what I'm going to do is tie a fuchsia or that fuchsia green color thing at the end so that people can see. That's where the limit is, baby. And if you can't get it, you're going to get it real quick. <laughs> so uh, it, it's like all my dogs have grown up with horses. So, um, and of course, I don't believe in hitting a horse with a horse whip. You never do that. All you do is it's the sound. It's the, you know, it's the sound. Right. Yeah. It's like my dogs. It's the sound. It is definitely not. And I believe in positive reinforcement. I train mm-hmm. my dogs with treats and everything else. It's just the the sound. It gets their attention like within two seconds. It's like whenever so, I was a child and my dad would go and like do that whistle, you know? Yes. My dad I, did whistle too. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, I immediately I stopped whatever I was doing to do that. Exactly. Sound so yeah, no, no. And, and again, I never thought I would actually use it on a physical being until this COVID-19. Right. <laughs> exactly. But it's brought out, you can tell Bailey, it's brought out a whole different side of me. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> So, and then anyway, we're quickly, the next thing he said was COVID doesn't care about money, which we talked about. And he mm. said, um, the, per, the author of this, this wonderful, sweet psychotherapist, he even said he's been obsessed with money, meaning how much will I have for retirement? How much, you know, do I have need for this and that and my practice? And we can all get into that. It's absolutely normal because we need to protect ourselves. And he said the virus has changed that for him. And now that he looks at life instead of his well-being tied to financial uh, metrics. It's how is everybody doing? And when he said that, I, I when I read this, I started to cry because every time, Ellie, you know me, I'm such a marshmallow anyway. But when I see these lines in Texas at the food banks, mm. and I see these people that have been waiting for two days in a line to get food for their families so their kids can eat that night, right? it is the most humbling, gut-wrenching thing that I can even imagine. So we are one in this and and I almost feel guilty opening a can of tomato soap and eating it after I see people waiting in line for two days. Right. Because so, you you and I have a pantry full of food right now, you know. Yeah. Like, and and a and a man who had gotten his food and his two kids were in the back seat, uh, uh this made me lose it. And he said, Yes, the kids said, Are we gonna eat tonight, Daddy? Are we gonna eat? And the camera showed the kids and they were jumping in the back seat. He said, Yes. And so he pulled over and the uh, reporter was uh, talking to the man and he said, yeah, he said, I've, he said, I, 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 I've got to have hope. And he whispered, he said, I don't want the kids to hear this, but I only have $100 left. And he mm. said, I have $100. My rent's due. The power's due. Everything in our life is due. I have, but I have $100. And he said, I'm praying to God as long as I can keep their tummies warm. And I just lost it. Because COVID doesn't care about money. And what this shows is, though, the opportunity for us to look at, instead of our life being uh, in terms of economics, it's how everyone is doing, just not us. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I just, I, I just thought that was beautiful. And, uh, and again, he asked questions like, what would it be like to judge my well-being in terms of the well-being of those people in the line, the food lines? And 
the people who um, are, are bus drivers and are going out every day with masks on, terrified they're going to catch this. You know, Interacting people, with potentially yes. hundreds of people a day. Yes, yes. And so anyway, his third um, uh, uh, tenet on this, which I love this guy, his third life lesson is clapping's not enough. And he said mm. before this, there were invisible people like my daughter who works the night shift at an ICU. Who knew she existed? Seriously. Yeah. She goes in at three in the afternoon, works till four in the morning, 12 hour shift, gets off. Of, if she has a patient she's worried about, she didn't get home till six or seven in the morning. She works seven days on, seven days off. She's done it for God knows how many years. And so she's invisible, right? I mean, most of her patients are in ICU. Nobody sees her, right? Because they're on right. vents or they're dying or I mean, the, the families do. So, and then also supermarket cashiers, the people that deliver our food, all of these invisible people. When I check out at Publix, they are not invisible anymore. And so we have to ask ourselves, we're clapping for them here in Brookhaven. We even take up collections and we send pizzas to the Publix grocery oh, store. That's awesome. Yeah. We do things for um, the police officers here and things, but what happens after the clapping? It's fine for now, but we need, I hope, to have reverent respect for the people that make our lives work, Bailey, every day. The invisible people, the bus drivers, mm -hmm. the train person on MARTA who's been working, the people who are cleaning the MARTA trains for you and I. Seriously. Right. I mean, you think about it. It's like, you know, we, we, uh, because we put so much of an emphasis on, uh, money in our culture you know you you see these people who uh, have these like i guess lower jobs i'm speaking as someone who is a freelance engineer so i'm obviously in a low tax bracket but you know these people who uh, work these quote-unquote menial jobs but it's like you know the the lady that drives the bus is is doing just as much for our economy delivering all these people to their jobs so that everything can keep running as the CEO, you know, because she's responsible for thousands of people to get where they need to go a day. The, the guy that's checking you out at Kroger <laughs> is literally feeding our local economy, literally. Feeding, Amen. Amen. Know? Yeah. So, literally. Um, uh, I, I hate that it, it takes something like this for us to realize this, but it's like, we all matter you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I hope that continues. Exactly. I do. I do too. From the, and, and again, as I told you, the true test of power is not the quote trickle down theory from the top down. Since I learned all of these types of mm -hmm. philosophies when I was doing finance and accounting, right. it's not from the top down. The true measure of leadership is from the bottom up Agreed. Um, and taking care of the least of us. And so finally, this person says, why are we zooming away? What are we zooming away from? And he talks about the self-isolation in our homes right now. And, um, and, the, and what could be easy for us to do is to zoom past this. Like you said, when things start to normalize, just I, I love he uses the term zooming away like we, we did um, mm -hmm. before. So with everything else we've faced. So it, but this emptiness does provide an opening. And again, whether it's, do we go back to climate change with the same narrow views or do we go back differently going, wow, we saw clean air. We saw all these amazing things happening. Uh, let's not, let us not see the sunrise or the sunset in LA anymore. Let us not have Atlanta be one of the most polluted or worst air in the, besides LA or New York in the United States. You see, right. let us not, reach those low bars again. Mm -hmm. Let us say we don't have to go back there. 
Exactly. Let us not um, elect people into office whose policy does not take our best interests. You mean like doing away with the Clean Air Act and all the other stuff? And please, yeah, or like jumping out of Black Bear's Court and stuff like that. Or you know, I'm sure that and there's some countries who uh, who uh, are in the Paris Accord that uh, that said that they were going to abide by it and then just didn't. You know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm going to take my marbles and go home. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know if people know what marbles are anymore. Um, (laughs) They're missing out. They're great. (laughs) And so finally, uh, again, I'd like to end it with uh, the spiritual teachings of a Buddhist who is a guy that I know, Stephen Bodian, and he wrote in Science and Non-Duality. And I think it's really a cool way to leave this life lessons from COVID-19 today is... um, he said he, he, he wants us, this is cool, Bailey, um, he wants us to consider COVID-19 as our guru. <laughs> now, That's is that dark. an image? <laughs> That's pretty dark. <laughs> um, and the guru, if those of us that have had teachers, Buddhist teachers, Native American teachers, shaman, my whole life has been filled with them, thank God, for most of my life. Um, you're, a true guru won't leave you alone. Now, they don't pester you, but they're looming. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what you do, if you, like, for an example, my, my Taoist meditation teacher, I go and he gives you these lessons. You meditate for a couple hours. He gives you this wisdom and you come back the next week and you go, man, I've got this down. I am really great. You know, oh, I got the lesson he taught me last week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so then then he just all he does is t- you show up the next week and it's just one look he gives you or one eyebrow or right. you know what I mean? Or two words where you go, ooh. So, so they don't leave you alone, do you see? But it's not like a gnat. It's this really cool, unattached, detachment way that they have once they get in your soul or under your skin. Exactly. So, and and it's and, and again, when he talks about COVID nineteen being a guru, he says, "Who taunts us at every turn to acknowledge our ignorance, pulls the rug out from under us, and forces us to learn lessons it has come to teach." Isn't that beautiful? Oh yeah. I love this. And so again, as you well know, I've been a student of Thich Nhat Hanh for, I guess, 25 years of the Dalai Lama, God, since 1992, and um, other things. Uh, but uh, of course, I've had a, had a littered and interesting history. You know, I was an ordained Methodist minister at one time. So I've kind of gone the whole game, but listen to you laugh. Professor of World Religions, <laughs> it's been one. It's been one of my little passions. You got the full spread, man. <laughs> well, spe- speaking about gnats, <laughs> I've been a little gnat. <laughs> going from thing to thing. But anyway, so first lesson, he's got just a few lessons here, and I think they're just amazing. First is groundlessness, which means most of the structures we've come to rely on, which are supply chains, infrastructure, mm-hmm. you know, everything, even our immune system that we have taken so for granted have crumbled. And it makes us feel shell-shocked. We feel queasy, grief-stricken. And, and it's really cool. Meaning the teaching here is the timeless one of impertinence and constant change. Everything changes. You and I are different than five seconds ago when you took your last breath. Our cells are different. Our IgGs, our immune system's different, as you well know. Every mm-hmm. We as humans, we love consistency. We want to think things don't change. Marriages don't change. Work doesn't change. False. <laughs> exactly no yes so um so there's we're afraid to be empty we're afraid um 
and and again, I, I just think all this is so amazing because again, I've I've been teaching this or, or and learning this from my teachers for a long time. But um, groundlessness is not a bad place to be. Second is renunciation. And uh, many of us uh, come out of great spiritual traditions and they teach the value of withdrawing from the world, mm. whether it's an ashram, a monastery, and focusing on your spiritual life. I happened to be a Benedictine oblate at a monastery with a bunch of wild, radical women. Imagine that, Bailey. And um, who keep their wine and gallon jugs in the back of the freezer, hey. <laughs> coming in the back of the refrigerator, <laughs> and party hardy on the weekends <laughs> when they're not saving when they're not saving the world. And but re- renunciation is about this is a time of renunciation. Being in your home, make it your monastery. I really mean it. Mm-hmm. Make it your um, uh, hermitage. Make it your sacred temple right now. This is your time to learn. And true renunciation has been the basis of every religion. It's about renouncing the belief that anything outside ourselves can make us happy and have lasting fulfillment. And again, this isn't just Buddhist. As Jesus said, do not store your treasures on earth where moth can destroy or rust decay. But store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot touch them. This is the essence of renunciation. It is the theme and the thread through every major religion and every Mm -hmm. spirituality. So if you've been relying on your job for your identity and ego or material possessions or your stock portfolio or your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it is, COVID-19 is your guru. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I mean... I, I know, I know it's, it's, it's sometimes a terrifying thought, but this is just this person's philosophy, which we're talking about different people's takes on COVID-19 life lessons. And so he has, um, the next one is vulnerability that we do not like to be vulnerable. It terrifies us. And in these times of global suffering, confusion, and privatization, it's a great time to open our hearts and feel this fear, compassion, empathy, grief, all of these feelings and um, feel that you're not alone. This is the vulnerability individually as uh, a family, as uh, the United States, as the planet Earth, vulnerability. It Instead of this arrogant, we're Americans, we have this, those of us, whether it's degrees or being of a certain race or a certain socioeconomic privilege, we can feel less vulnerable. This is a time to really take vulnerability as such a spiritual practice. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then finally, he talks about inner being, which is, again, it's the coronavirus hasn't reminded us of our inseparability. Inseparab- Nothing possibly could, okay? Because n- not only has the virus ignored national boundaries, religious differences, ethnic divides, language barriers, socioeconomic classes, its spread has revealed how interconnected we are on every level. And think about this. It's so contagious, even on a cellular level. Isn't that mm-hmm. amazing? Oh, Psychologically, yeah. spiritually, cellularly. Look how it's connected us as far as the climate. It's even changed the climate. Mm-hmm. It's changed everything. And we call this interbeing, which is one of the fundamental principles of spirituality, Buddhism, Native American, and, and Jesus. Everything is about interbeing. So I think it's just absolutely amazing. And finally, when he talks about this inner being, we talk about the movement 
of the wisdom traditions is human life is depicted as an intersection of the horizontal, which is our movement through time and space. Okay. For an example, you're 31 years old. Um, you're, uh, the date of today's date, the weather, that's horizontal moving through life, time, date, space, 2000, mm-hmm. ever, all of that. The vertical of that dimension is timelessness, boundariness, boundarylessness, and everything connected to the divine and your soul. Mm-hmm. So actually, as you well know, I grew up in Catholic schools and stuff. So when I actually make the sign of the cross, I do it in my brain and in my soul, connecting the vertical with the horizontal. Oh, okay. So the vertical is the first movement. When you make the sign of the cross, your head down to your heart. So that is your connection to the, in my mind, to the connection to the divine mm-hmm. and the e- eternal non-timelessness. Right. And then left to right when you make the sign of the cross, it's horizontal. I only have X amount of days left. I am in a human body. This mm-hmm. is the date and the time. This is the condition of the world. So it's a wonderful reminder every day of that inner being living on both axes. I like that. So those are three great people I thought that offered us wisdom today. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, life lessons from COVID-19. I hope that maybe... Some of our listeners, whether it's um, on Facebook or uh, emailing us uh, and contacting us, can make some comments. Uh, but how did you feel about today? Oh, I thought it was uh, excellent. I um, it's always good to uh, soundboard off each other and to be able to uh, incorporate other people's ideas and just kind of comment on that because uh, you know I've been kind of lonely. It's been nice to uh it's been nice to chat for an hour, you know? It's been Yes. Good. I've been at my own little Walden Pond here and uh I've you know, I'm finished writing poetry. I'd like to have some human interaction now. <laughs> well, uh have you ever been to Walden Pond? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, when my ship comes in, I'm going to send you and Melissa there because you have to go. It is definitely a destination that I have visited many times. I'm obsessed. I I actually sit in Emerson's home. I can't help myself. I sit in his library. I go into the backyard. I stalk him (laughs) through time and space. Then I go to the graveyard and I sit next to his grave for a while. I told you I'm weird. Then I go to Walden Pond with Thoreau, and he and I sit there for long times, and they talk to me. So my husband and I have gone for many, many, many years. And um, and so anyway, it's, it's really uh, – I believe that uh, time and space are very important in history. Mm-hmm. So you know me. I'm a history freak. And then I also visit whether it's Monticello at Jefferson. Right. Or, you know, every person who has done anything, I try to visit the time and space, the physical presence of where they lived. Right. Um, because I think it's very important to get the essence of, of There what are they traces through. of those. Yeah, I agree. And, um, as, and as, we end, as we end with life lessons from COVID-19, um, being a history freak as I am, I'm again reading uh, The Splendid and the Vile, which is another biography of, of Churchill. I have been, as you all know, I'm a stress expert, so I read through history the most stressful times in human history and how the leaders have navigated us through these things and what we've learned and what we haven't learned. So it's been fascinating for me to watch this unfold as I sit there with 10 biographies of FDR, 12 biographies of Churchill, 
you know, 15 of Grant, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Lincoln, all uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, you, the list goes Benjamin Franklin, on and on and on of, wow, look at how we're handling this. And we have beautiful playbooks from the past. Why are we not using the richness and the fodder that could help guide us through this light? And you don't have to answer that because I yeah, think I was going to say, I don't, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, that's loaded question for sure. Or, 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 but is, that, yes. or, or is that self-evident? <laughs> I think it is. It's probably self-evident. Let's be honest. Um, guys, thank you all so much for being here today. Um, you know, from our Walden Pond to yours, I hope that you're staying safe. Um, I hope that your family's safe and uh, we just appreciate you uh, listening in. Um, as always, if you want to get in touch with us, contact us on social media, Instagram and Facebook. You can also email um, info at mindfullivingnetwork.com and check us out on the web at mindfullivingnetwork.com. You can get a And link- also, yeah, and also oh. Bailey, I wanted, to th- I wanted to throw in that we've renovated with this COVID uh since it's our guru, we have renovated the Mindful Living Network and the Stress mm-hmm. Institute. Looks so great. there are unbelievable places to go to relax for your family. We have meditations or things for children, for families, for your own individual self. We've got uh, webcams at some of the most amazing places on the planet to relax. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have all kinds of information. So anyway, try to. it's, it's a whole new thing we've done in the last uh, two months. So I hope people will check it out. Yeah, and fun fact, uh, if you go to MindfulLivingNetwork.com, this podcast and others like it are literally one click away. So uh, send, uh, send a friend the link. We'd love to have somebody else join in the community. Dr. Hall? Thank you, and this is The Way I See It, and I am Dr. Kathleen Hall, and thanks for joining us today.